word, um, chat with other people for the rest of the year. So what I'm going to present today, I'm hoping, is going to be something that's going to influence uh, the rest of the year as we go on. And, and so today we're going to start a series on the fear of the Lord. And this isn't a topic that we typically preach about in church. As a matter of fact, I'll, I'll, I'll repent right now for, in my opinion, maybe preaching this wrong over the years. Um, and, and so today we're going to try to get back on track with what does it mean to fear the Lord. Uh, I, I was telling the worship team before service this morning, I said, I, I feel like in America today, especially the church in America today, maybe, maybe not in other countries. Um, we just went back in November, my dad and Jay and myself, we went on a kind of a scouting mission for our mission trip that we have coming up in Guatemala. And, um, and we went there and we were at this little church, the, the, the little church could fit in this one section. I mean, a tiny little place. And as we watched the people come in for what was probably the fifth service of the week. They did church on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I think they took one day off and then came back on Saturday again to do church services of, of a variety of kinds. And so we're sitting in this little service, and as we're getting ready for church to start, we're watching the church members come in, and we're all sitting on the front row. And one by one, the church members would come in, and they would immediately go get on their face before God and begin to pray and begin to call out to God. Now, listen, worship isn't happening. Um, they don't have a little pre-roll service happening. They don't have snacks in the back. Um, they don't even really have a good bathroom. Their bathroom would be where our sound booth is, and the walls are about that thick. I mean, it was that kind of deal right there in the room. And these people are coming down, getting on their face before God, and then they would go back to their seat. And one by one, they would come down. And that's how this service, that was the pre-service for that church service. And it got me to thinking, you know, these people have a different understanding, just a different, just a different mindset when it comes to um, coming to church, when it comes to God. And in, in America, we just don't do that. In America, we want a church and a God that we can control. In America, we want a service that we can control. We don't want anything weird to happen. Um, as a matter of fact, I feel like as a pastor, most pastors, we fear people more than we fear God. We're afraid that if we don't make you happy, you're not going to give that tithe. And if you don't give that tithe, then we don't get paid. And we've come to this place in America where we fear a lot of stuff, but we don't fear God. And so I want to talk today about the idea of what does it mean to really fear God. And, and, and part of the problems that I see in, in my life, and, and maybe you will see it in this church, and is that whenever I look at the book of Acts and then I look at the church of America, they're not the same. There's a lot of stuff happening in the book of Acts that doesn't happen today. There's a lot of miracles that happen in the book of Acts that we just don't see today. And you can say, well, maybe God has changed or maybe God is different. But my Bible says that God's the same yesterday, today and forever. So if God hasn't changed, then that means there's one person that has changed and that's man. Maybe we've changed some things that we feared. Maybe we've changed some things that we've worshipped. Maybe we've changed some, some methods and what we've done over the years. And, and I don't know about you, but I want to be at a place with God where I can see God move in my life, where I can see transformation happen. I want to be at a place where we can see miracles and we can see life change. I want to see those things happen. And so we, when we see that in the book of Acts and then we look at today, um, I feel like there's some kind of disconnect somewhere. And so probably almost a year ago, I, I can't remember the exact date, but, but maybe it was about a year ago, we were, um, the, the church, we, we were letting um, 
ironclad wrestling come in and they were they would do wrestling in our building um, on the you know during the week and then we would come in on Sunday morning and set up all the chairs back up and so uh, one Sunday morning I was in here before service and I'm setting up chairs you know making all the rows straight because I'm kind of OCD and so um, I'm in here working on the chairs and, and I just for for a while I'd been feeling like there was something missing something missing in me something maybe missing in church and and I just thought God there's what what is it what is that thing and 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 I'd, I'd notice on YouTube and whenever I go to YouTube a lot, um, the, you know, sometimes they have suggested videos for you to watch. And so, um, I kept noticing this video pop up. It's a guy named John Bevere. He's a, he's an author and a speaker. And, and John was preaching a message called the, the fear of the Lord. And I just, I kept skipping it and I just never would listen to it. And that Sunday in particular, I, I thought I want something to listen to while I'm setting up chairs. And so I opened up YouTube and I looked and that was there. And I thought, I'm just going to click on that and see what happens. And when I clicked on it, um, the message that he was speaking, it was like God said, this is it. This is the thing you're missing. Now that was, that was a year ago. I didn't preach it. Um, I, I just, I, I went in, I, I listened to the message and then I bought the book and I listened to the book and, and I just thought I, I want to get some of this down inside my soul before I ever, ever bring it to the, um, to the church. And so, so I started listening to it and there was this one story that stood out and that's the story I want to share today. Um, and, and John Bevere was saying that, that one day he had, he had written this particular book and a man in prison had read the book. And so the man in prison had called and asked to meet with John Bevere. And so John Bevere goes to meet with this man in prison. And the man in prison was a guy named Jim Baker. And, and if you're my age or older, um, you may know who Jim Baker is. Jim Baker was a, was a preacher. He and his wife, you've probably heard of her, Tammy Faye Baker. Um, she had the big eyelashes and she always cried on TV. Um, and so Jim and Tammy Faye got in trouble with the law. Um, at, at some point, they had this huge ministry, this huge television ministry. And um, Jim ended up having an affair with a woman. It was very public. And then after that, he got arrested for mail fraud because he was having people send him money and it was supposed to be for church purposes, but it ended up being for personal purposes. And so he, he defrauded a bunch of people. And so he went to prison for mail fraud. Um, and so his fall was great. And so I remember as a kid seeing Jim Baker plastered over the news, seeing Tammy Faye plastered on the news. And all it was was about the fall of Jim Baker. Well, this guy's in prison now, and so he calls John Bevere, says, hey, can we meet? And so they go and they meet, and so they begin to talk about the books that John had written. And, and as they were talking and as they were kind of going through some stuff, John Bevere said, I just kind of felt like I wanted to ask him. He said, when was the moment that you fell out of love with Jesus? Jim, when was the moment that you stopped loving the Lord? And Jim Baker looked at John Bevere and said, John I've never stopped loving Jesus. And John stood up and he said, I was about to walk out of the room. He said, I was mad. He said, there's no way that you, you have an affair. There's no way that you defraud all these people, that you lie on TV, that you steal people's money. There's no way you do those things without stopping your love for Christ. And, and Jim Baker said, John, it wasn't a matter of not loving Jesus. I loved him the whole time, but I stopped fearing Jesus. And when he said that in the message, it struck a chord in my heart because I got to thinking, how often do we come in and we love the Lord, but we don't fear him anymore? And so you may say, well, Gabriel, what does it mean to, to love and, and fear? What, what does that mean? Well, um, you know, a, a lot of times whenever I've preached before, and this is the part I'll have to change. I've preached before that whenever you see the word fear in the Bible, don't worry about it. It just means respect. 
don't worry about the word fear. It only means respect. You don't ever have to fear the Lord. And, and, and I, I used to preach that, that it's about respect. And, and when you think about the word respect, what does it mean to respect somebody? Well, it means if someone were walking to this room today and, and, and let's say uh, it was uh, someone important. So we've got some firemen in the room. If the, if the fire chief walked in and, and walked up to some of our firemen, they would immediately stand up. They wouldn't sit down. They would shake his hand. They would look him in the eye. These are signs of respect, right? So, so that, would, that may be something that we would do. Um, if, the, if the president were to walk in or something, you would stand, you would rise. These are signs of respect. And, and I'm just going to be honest with you. I, I don't feel like that is the same thing that fearing God is. If all fearing God is, is that we stand when God walks in the room, then that's no different than what we do for, for man. And so I, I feel like there's got to be something different as a as a matter of fact, if I look in the Bible, the Bible says this in Psalm 96, 4, it says, great is the Lord. He is worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. Psalm 47, 2 says this for the Lord most high is to be feared a great king over all the earth. And you may say, yeah, but that's just still it's talking about respect. Well, then let's look at Isaiah chapter six. Isaiah chapter six shows us fear of the Lord in a little different manner. Here's what Isaiah six verse one says. So so to help you out, the, the, the author, Isaiah, he's a prophet. He is caught up in a vision and in his vision, this is what he sees. He says it was in the year that King Uzziah died and I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were the mighty seraphim. Notice it says mighty there and seraphim is a type of angel. Each having six wings. Listen to what they did with their wings. With two wings, they covered their faces and with two, they covered their feet and with two, they flew and they were calling to each other. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory and their voices shook the temple to its foundations and the entire building was filled with smoke. I'm going to pause right there. You've got angels that are so big, that are so mighty that their voices shake the foundations of the temple. And yet they fear the Lord so much that they hide their faces from him. This doesn't sound like what we do with respect. It sounds different to me. Let's see how Isaiah reacts. Isaiah says, I love this verse. It's so funny. Verse five, it says, then I said, it's all over. I am doomed for I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. Angels hide their faces in the presence of God. Isaiah says, I'm doomed. I'm about to die. I've seen the Lord. Not I talked to him. Not I touched him. I saw him and I'm about to die. That sounds like more than shaking a man's hand and looking him in the eye. That sounds like more than just rising when someone walks in the room. Let's look at Mark chapter 4, the disciples. So we see how angels and Isaiah deal with God. Look at what happens in Mark chapter 4, verse 38. There was a storm in the ocean. The disciples are in the boat with Jesus. And it says Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. And the disciples woke him up shouting, teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, silence, be still. And suddenly the wind stopped. 
and there was great calm. Then he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Let me pause right there. Consider this for a second. The God of the universe is in the boat with you. He stands up, he speaks, and the wind and waves obey him. Now, most of us reading the Bible, for the first time maybe as we read, we would say, oh, I would just think that's so cool. And I'd be like, go, Jesus, you got this, man. You're amazing. This is wonderful. Look at what the disciples did. Verse 41, the disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and waves obey him. Think about this. Jesus stands up. He speaks to the wind and waves and the disciples are completely terrified. I think they have just realized the magnitude of the power that was in the boat with them. And they did not recognize that power beforehand. And I think what happens, and I don't want this to be a downer message, but it's just kind of going to be a reality check for all of us, myself included, is I think sometimes we show up in church, we're in the boat, and we don't realize the amount of power that is there in the boat with us. And we typically ignore the power. The disciples recognized the power, and they were completely terrified of the power. One more, one more, and then we'll, we'll get to something that sounds more fun and enjoyable. Revelation chapter 1. This is John. This is John, and John, again, caught up in a vision, right? So he's seeing some things that aren't actually there. And it says this in, in verse 12. It says, um, when I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands. I'm giving you a lot of John's description of Jesus. I want you to see what he sees. And standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. He was wearing a long robe with gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool and white as snow. His eyes were a flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace. His voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp two-edged sword came out of his mouth. And his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. Now, sometimes we just read this and we think, oh, that's a cute little picture of Jesus. And, and, and we're flipping through our kid's Bible and there's a picture of him in there. And we just think of Jesus as being this cute little fella that his face is glowing. But when John is describing Jesus, he's using some pretty extreme terms. It says his face is shining like the sun. Think about it. How many of you look at the sun on a regular basis? None of us. Why? It burns your retinas, right? If you were a kid, I don't know if you guys were dumb like me, but when I was a kid, I used to think, I'm going to look at the sun and count how long I can look at the sun. Some of you are like, that's what's wrong with you today. That's why you're wearing glasses. And I would look at the sun, one, two, ah, you know, and you start screaming. Jesus' face shines like the sun. Look at John's response. Does John run up and be like, it's my old buddy Jesus. What's up, friend? High five. No. Verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. John's response to the magnitude and the power of who Christ is, is to pass out. He said, that's it. I'm done. I'm dead. Boom. Hits the floor. Hits the floor. 
We need to understand this idea of fear. But Gabriel, the Bible says to not be afraid. Over 300 times the Bible says don't be afraid. The Bible says don't be anxious about anything. The Bible says that true love drives out all fear. So you can't preach about fearing God. You can't preach about being terrified of God. You can't preach about about what fear really is. Well, there's a thing called healthy fear. And there are places in the Bible, and I didn't, I didn't put all these verses in here. I, I would have an overflow today. But there are places in the Bible where it says, fear the Lord, do not be afraid. Well, that sounds dumb to me. Fear the Lord, do not be afraid. So there's got to be a difference in, being, in fearing the Lord and being scared. And so we're going to talk for just a second about healthy fear. Um, there's a difference between fear and and scared. I, I, I don't know about you. I'm not afraid of dogs. I'm not scared of dogs. I own two dogs or they own me. I'm not exactly sure how that works. We've got these two dogs in our house. And, um, but I know people we had a, a long time ago, many years ago, uh, we had a person in our church that wanted a, um, a service dog. What are they called? A service dog. Yeah. <laughs> I'm way smarter than I think I am. And it was a, no, 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 but it's a, is that still the kind that's like, they weren't blind. Emotional support dog. Thank you, Kim. I knew somebody knew it. Kim didn't look at me like I was a moron. Um, she just helped me, unlike you people over there, um, which is not normal, Kim. Usually you're mean to me. Um, so, so, but you're sitting in a weird place. Listen, a lot of you guys are sitting in weird places today. I don't know if it's like New Year, we're going to change it up, but y'all are throwing me way off today. Um, so anyways, this person wanted an emotional support dog. And one of our leaders in the church told me, she said, Gabriel, I'm going to tell you right now, if that dog comes in the building, I'm getting out of here. And I said, why? She said, I'm deathly afraid of dogs. And I'm like this little puppy, you know, and she's like, I can't do it. I can't do any dogs. She was, she was irrationally afraid of dogs. It's kind of like my wife and moths. My wife is irrationally afraid of moths. And I keep telling her, you're not made out of wool. It won't hurt you. She can't handle it. If a moth comes in the room, she freaks out. She runs to the other room. I have to kill the moths, right? And so sometimes we have this irrational fear. And, and I'm not afraid of dogs, but I do remember whenever I was younger, my parents went out to dinner. And, and whenever you're a kid and your parents are pastors, they go out to dinner all the time because they got to go, you know, talk to people about whatever. And, and when you're a kid, you get drug along, you know. And so I got drug along. I was probably 11 years old and, and I'm going to these people's house. And of course, they didn't have any kids my age. And so I'm just stuck to sit around while my parents and these people talk about serious adult things. And so these people had a sharp Y'all know what a Sharpay is? It's that old wrinkle-faced dog, right? And so I'm looking at this wrinkle-faced dog, and I'm like, man, that's a cool-looking dog. And I'm petting the Sharpay, and I'm petting him. And as I'm petting him, I get down in this wrinkled old face, and I put my face down there by his face. And guess what that Sharpay does? Bites me right in the face. I still have a little scar on my nose. That dog caught my nose and my lip and bit me, and I started bleeding, and, um, and we stayed there. We didn't go home. I didn't get a Band-Aid. We stayed because my parents had to be pastors. So, um, yeah, so I'm a little bitter. And so, anyways, I got bit in the face by this dog. So, guess what happened to me later on? Did I become afraid of dogs? No, I'm not afraid of dogs. But here's what I did do. I learned how to fear dogs. I understood the power that a dog has. 
And so I don't mess with a dog. I don't treat a dog with disrespect. I don't get in a dog's face. Why? Because I understand what can happen. There are things called healthy fears. I went, I went rock climbing down at, at High Point over in, in wherever it is on 280. And as I'm rock climbing at High Point, I climbed up to the very tallest thing that you can climb that we were allowed to climb. I climbed all the way up to the very top of this thing. And whenever I get, and I love heights, I love to climb. I love doing that kind of stuff. And I get up to the very highest point. And whenever I got up there, it's like, okay, now what do you do? And they're like, you just fall. And I'm like, you're an idiot. And I'm attached to this rope and they tell me that it works and they tell me it's not going to drop me and they tell me it's going to lower me down slowly. But that first initial let go of the wall, every single time I would let go of the wall, I'd go, every single time. And you can look at me like I'm some kind of sissy or wuss, but you weren't up there on that wall. And every time you drop off that wall, it's, What is that? What is that feeling? What is that emotion? That is a healthy fear. You are not supposed to fall off of high things. God has put it in you, this healthy fear, not to fall. And what does that healthy fear do? It teaches me not to get to the edge of something, right? It teaches me how to hold on tight, how to be safe. There are some healthy fears that we need to have. Growing up, I had parents, we just, we just talked about this the other day, um, me and dad and Chuck and Will, and we were talking and, and we were talking about spankings. And, and I got a couple when I was growing up. Not as many as my brother. Not as many as my, my brother got a lot because he was too dumb to learn from the first one he got. And so I saw him get a spanking. I was like, I'm going to make some notes here. You know, don't be stupid. And, um, and so I remember, though, but I, but I remember one time going out into the front yard and, and I took my dad's golf clubs because they look like guns, right? They got a handle and a, and so they look like guns. And I remember going out in the front yard and I remember there was a storm drain in our street and I got down in the storm drain with my dad's golf clubs and my buddy Lance next door, I gave him a golf club because I can't be the only one with a gun. And so we both got in the storm drain and I remember my dad driving by and as my dad drove by, we poke our heads out of the storm drain and we're showing him the, the golf clubs. Like, yeah, you know, and we're going to shoot you with your expensive golf clubs in the storm drain. And so I got a spanking, obviously. And so I got a spanking. And, and, and listen, here's, here's what happened. The next day when I woke up and my dad walked in the room, you know what I didn't do? <laughs> I'm scared. I never did that. I hugged my dad. I kissed my dad. I, I loved my dad. I was never scared of my dad. But whenever my dad told me not to get the golf clubs and go down in the storm drain, I didn't do it again. Why? Because I understood the power that was associated with his office as dad. I understood the idea of discipline that was associated and it changed the way I acted and the way I obeyed. There's this place of fear that's different than being scared. Fear means I understand the power and it changes the way I think and the way I act and the way I live. So whenever I have a healthy fear, I know God's power, but it also helps me to know my place. I understand God's power, but I also understand my place in the situation when I have a healthy fear of who God is. So there's a couple of things. And so we're going we're gonna to be talking about the rewards of fear. 
Because I, I don't want you to think that, that, that the fear of the Lord is just something that we're cowered down and we're uh, always thinking like that about God. I don't want you thinking like that about God. I want you to understand that whenever we have a healthy fear, when we have a, a good understanding of, of who God is, of the power that, that he contains, um, then, then all of a sudden there are rewards for having that, same, that kind of fear in our life. I also want you to know this. I don't know everything about the topic, and neither do you. And this is going to be a process for us to learn together what does it mean to have the fear of the Lord in our life. And so, so one of the things we're going to talk about next week, how, how the fear of the Lord, the Bible says, is the beginning of wisdom. So there's a place where we gain wisdom from understanding the fear of the Lord. The Bible talks about that the fear of the Lord, uh, it, it changes the way we read God's word. And so I want to read God's word differently. I want God's word to, to transform my life. And that only happens whenever I understand the fear of the Lord. And, and there's a place where our worship is transformed by the fear of the Lord. And so, so there's some different aspects, uh, different rewards that we get from the fear of the Lord. And one of the rewards uh, we find in Proverbs chapter 19, and, and that is life, that the fear of the Lord leads us to life and not just I'm alive, but the life that God intended for you. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hands, but how many of you today would say, I really want to live the life that God intended for me? My life may be good. Maybe you've got a great job and a great family and great kids and, and you've got a, a 401k and you've got a car that's paid off. Maybe your life is great, but you still understand that what I'm doing right now may not be exactly what God intended. And I want to live the life that God intended. And, and part of doing that is understanding the fear of the Lord. And so whenever I fear God, there's a couple of things that are going to happen in my life. One thing that's going to happen is I'm not going to fear man anymore. When I fear God, I don't have to fear man. This is going to be one of those things where, where God gives me the life that I'm intended to live. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 23. The fear of the Lord leads to life, bringing security and protection from harm. Now, this, again, feels like an oxymoron. If I fear God, now what? Now I'm protected from harm, but I'm afraid of him. No, no, no. Remember, it's not about being afraid. It's about fearing. And so, so it says the fear of the Lord leads to life, bringing security and protection from harm. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus said this in verse 28. Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God. So Jesus says, fear God, who can destroy both soul and body in hell. What is the price of two sparrows? One copper coin. But not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. Jesus says it. He says, fear God, but don't be afraid. When I learn how to fear God, I know his power. I know his love. I know his care. So my life now is transformed because because I fear him, I don't have to fear anybody else. Because I fear him, because my life is in his, I don't have to fear anybody else. Even if they kill me. The Bible says in the book of Revelation that they overcame uh, Satan by not loving their lives even unto death. In other words, they were not afraid of what man could do even if man killed them. They had no fear. Why? Because they understood the fear of God. They understood the fear of God. 
The other thing that that fear of God, the way that it gives me the life that God intended, is it helps me not to fear the future. If I fear God, I won't fear the future. Isaiah 44, 1 through 3 says this, But now, listen to me, Jacob my servant, Israel my chosen one, the Lord who made you and helps you, So he's establishing his power and authority. I'm the one that made you. I'm the one that helps you. Understand my position. So when we understand his position, he says, Do not be afraid, O Jacob, my servant. O dear Israel, my chosen one. I will pour out water to quench your thirst. So Jesus, I mean, God's saying here, I'm going to take care of your immediate needs. Some of you are worried about, about your immediate needs. And God says, I'll pour out water to meet your immediate need. And to irrigate your parched fields. So I'm not only going to take care of your immediate need, but I'm also going to take care of your provision long term. So, so some of us uh, may be worried about our jobs or our futures or our retirement. Listen, whenever we fear the Lord, then he says, I'm the one that's going to take care of the immediate need. I'm also going to take care of the provision coming up, the future provision. And then it says, and I will pour out my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your children. So we sometimes fear our immediate needs. We fear our provision. And then we fear our future. We're worried about what's going to happen to our kids. As we're in the fear of the Lord, as we teach our kids how to fear the Lord, the Bible says that he will pour out a blessing even on our children. So it's not the fear of the future. And the third thing I don't fear, because um, the, the fear of the Lord brings me life, the life God intended. He doesn't want me to fear man. He doesn't want me to fear uh, my future. He also doesn't want me to fear judgment. The Bible says in Proverbs fourteen twenty seven, the fear of the Lord is a life-giving fountain. It offers escape from the snares of death. One of the verses I did not put in my notes today, but, but it's the verse that says, uh, true love drives out all fear. We put that on coffee mugs all the time, but what we don't understand is the context of that verse. The context of that verse is all about judgment. The context of that verse is that the the Bible is talking about the, the final judgment where Christ judges people. And what it's saying there is, as we are in love with Christ, as we fear the Lord, what's going to happen? We have no fear of judgment because we are in right standing with God. And so whenever I step into the judgment, when my life is over, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of what he's going to say because I know I'm in right standing with him. Right? Whenever we fear the Lord, we don't fear judgment. I'm going to go back for just a second to two verses. So Revelation 1 and Isaiah 6, and we're going to finish out those stories. So in Revelation 1, John sees Jesus. The Bible says he falls on his face as a dead man, right? He just, I'm done, I'm dead, I'm laying on the ground. Look at what happens, though. When John puts himself in a place where he fears the Lord, the Bible says this, But he, talking about Jesus, laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. When we put ourselves in a position where we fear the Lord, then the Lord comes to us and says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of judgment. Don't be afraid of the future. Don't be afraid of man because I'm here with you. But he needs to see that we're in a position to fear the Lord. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah says, I'm doomed. Woe is me. I've seen the Lord. I've got filthy lips. What does the Bible say in verse six? Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips and with it said, see, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. I just think that's very cool. 
how whenever these men put themselves in a position to fear the Lord, now all of a sudden God comes back and they're saying, they're saying, I'm scared, I'm dying, I'm doomed. And the Lord comes in and says, no, 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 you're not doomed. Don't be afraid. I'm taking away your sin. When you fear me, I take away your sin. When you fear me, I pick you up. I don't put you down. When you fear me, I'm with you. I'm not apart from you. And so God, God begins to show up in places where we fear the Lord. So why is it that we talk about this whole idea of, hey, what needs to change in church in America? What needs to change at Gateway Family Church? What needs to change in me as a pastor, as a man, as a husband, as a son, as a father? What are the things that need to change? Maybe I need to fear the Lord a little bit more. Maybe I need to understand what it means to fear the Lord. Because why? Because I want him to show up and bring me life. I want him to show up and give me the life that I was intended to live. And that happens with the fear of the Lord. We're, we're going to end. I've got one more verse and then we're going to take communion to keep things from being awkward in just a minute. Before I share my last verse, let's go ahead and just do the awkward thing in front of you. There is a little cup of communion or maybe below your seat. If you're on the front row, there's a little cup with grape juice in it and a little cracker on top, go ahead and get that and just hold it in your seat. Because what's going to happen in a minute is I'm going to try to be serious and try to end the message and everybody's going to be digging around under their seat and it's going to be super awkward and weird. When I fear the Lord, it leads me away from sin and towards Christ. I love this. The fear of the Lord puts me in a position to be forgiven. Psalm 130, this is our last verse of the day, and then, and then we're going we're gonna to take communion together. In just a minute, we're going to stand, and we'll take communion, we'll pray. And today, instead of coming down to the front for prayer, we normally do that, and we will continue to do that later on. Um, but today, we're going to all just pray in our seats, okay? So Psalm 130, verse 4. This is really cool. Here's what the Bible says. But you offer forgiveness, and look at the next part of that verse. That we might fear you, no, that we might learn to fear you. What is my prayer for this year for me and for you? My prayer this year for all of us as a church family is not that we would fear the Lord, but that we would learn to fear the Lord. Not that we would just immediately have it and know it and know how to do it. That would be awesome. If God could just download everything that we needed to know in one moment, that would be incredible. But for most of us, myself included especially, it takes me some time to learn some things. It takes some study. It takes some practice. It takes some failure. I want to learn how to fear the Lord. I want to learn what is this church going to look like? What will worship look like in this place if we fear the Lord? Like if we showed up on a Sunday morning and we really had this understanding of the magnitude of who God is. Like I was listening to worship this morning and the guys did a great job and I was super proud of them. Pastor Jonathan got sick this week, he and his wife, and so he wasn't able to be here. So these guys jumped in and did a fabulous job with worship. But as I was listening to the words today and, and as they were singing, I got to thinking, I thought, man, if I really understood who God is, would it change the way I worship him? Like, like would it change the way I, I give him my life? If I really understood the fear of the Lord, if I'm really if I'm really grasping that concept, what does my Bible reading look like? Because right now we're our family's reading through the book of Job. And I'm going to be honest with you. Job is not my favorite book. It's a hard read. It's a hard read. 
One of my kids, I can't remember which one it was, came up last night, and they were like, I really like the book of Job. And I'm like, who are you? I don't like reading the book of Job. But I love the fact that at the end of, book, of the book of Job, Job has all of his complaints. And, and listen, that, that's another one that gets me. I hear these people talk about how, yeah, I just go in my backyard and I cuss God out and I just tell him how I feel. And I just think, wow, I'm glad you've got that kind of relationship with God. But, ooh, I don't know if I could do that. Because I wouldn't cuss out the mayor. And if I wouldn't cuss out the mayor, I probably wouldn't cuss out God. And I start seeing, I start seeing how we respond to God. And I start thinking, I see Job. And what does Job do throughout the, throughout the scriptures? Go, Job brings his complaints to God. But you'll notice he never complains to any of his friends about God. He'll talk to God. He'll say, God, I really don't like what's, what's happening. I don't like these boils. I don't like my wife being a jerk. I don't like all my kids being dead. I don't like all my cows being dead. And he'll talk to God about it, but he doesn't complain to other people. And so I get it. That's a level of respect and fear that Job has. That he says, I'm going to bring my conversation straight to the man himself, not to anybody else. But at the end of the book, God begins to speak to Job. And God begins to reveal his greatness. God says, there's nobody like me, Job. Nobody could catch Leviathan the way I do. Nobody can, can, can create the world the way that I did. And God begins to reveal his greatness. And now Job's attitude begins to change. Why? Because he's learning more about the fear of the Lord. So what do I want for us? I want us to ask God to forgive us. Forgive us for not fearing him. Forgive us for not giving him the respect he is due. I don't want to be legalistic. I really don't. I know it's all about the heart. So I'll just speak for myself. There's plenty of times I come into worship. And I'll sit right here on the front row. And we're doing worship. And all I can think about is they need to turn the bass up a little bit. They, they got the words wrong on the screen. All I can think is they didn't turn the lights down at the right time. Is that fearing the Lord or is that fearing what people are going to think about the service that I put together? See, I'm going to tell you right now, I need to ask God to forgive me. I'll ask God to forgive me for the way I approach his word. The Bible calls the word of God the fear of God. And there's times when I approach his word as though it's just one thing I got to listen to before I can get my day started. I'm ready to get my day going, but God, I got to listen to this book of Job. And so I just turn it on and I close my eyes and I roll over and I might fall asleep in the middle of Job. You know what my wife would do if we're having a conversation and I just rolled over and went to sleep? She already gets mad enough when I do that during a TV show much less a serious conversation where she's trying to pour out her heart to me. She's trying to tell me about life. And I just went, I'm going to just roll over here. But I do it to God, the creator of the universe. So yeah, I want to ask God to forgive me. And maybe I'm the only one in the room. Maybe all of you guys got it and you're there. But I'm going to ask God to forgive me. And, And here's what Daniel did. The Bible says that Daniel understood that his people had sinned. And even though his people didn't repent, Daniel said, I'll repent for my people. So not only will I repent today, not only will I ask God to forgive me, but I'm going to ask God to forgive all of us as the church of America. The churches in this town, the 
All the pastors that are like me that sometimes forget and our focus gets on people more than it gets on God. I'll ask God to forgive me for that too. Why don't you stand up with me today? Hold that cup with you. And then the next part of my prayer is going to be that I might learn to fear you. Man, that's my prayer. I want to fear God. I want to fear God. And not only do I want to fear God, Marek, I want my kids to fear God. I want my kids to grow up with this understanding that God's big, that God's huge, God's unfathomable. I want my kids to understand how wonderful and, 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 and incredible God is. That no matter what they go through in life, that God is there. That no matter what's happening around them, that God can show up. I want my kids to understand that death isn't the end, that death cannot defeat us. We have no fear of death. Why? Because we fear the Lord. We fear the Lord. So right in front of you, you got this cup and you got this bread. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to take out the bread and we're going to do communion. This is going to be our final prayer today. I want you to take out the bread. And in our church, uh, My dad says this when he preaches, and Nathan probably says it when he preaches. I always forget. We do open communion, so anybody is welcome to do communion. You don't have to be a member of the church. But here's the thing about the bread. The Bible says that Jesus laid down his life for who? For his friends. He laid down his life for his friends. The Bible also says that whenever we come to Christ, we become the children of God. We are adopted into his family. Ephesians says that Christ loves us the way that the way that we love a bride, that he treats us like his bride. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know about you. But there's a lot of things I would do to protect my bride. There's a lot of things I would do to protect my children. And there's a lot of things I would do to protect my friends. Jesus gave his body for his bride, for his children, and for his friends. Now, if somebody is crazy enough to die for you and me, that's a person to be feared. That's a person that's willing to go to any length. And that's a person that we fear. That's a person we respect. That's a person we honor. That's a person that when they show up in the room, we fall down like we're dead. So I want you to take that bread this morning. Oh, yes, thank you so much, Nathan. I want you to take the bread. And we're going to take it. And as we do, I want us to remember that he died for us. His body was broken for us, for his friends, for his children, for his bride. Let's take the bread. Next, I want you to open up that cup. It's just grape juice. There's nothing special about this in the, in the moment. But it represents something. It represents his blood that washes away our sins. And today, as we close out, I'm going to pray. When we get done taking this, I'm going to pray. And, and I want to pray for you, and I want you to pray on your own. But here's the thing that we're asking God, I may not have a lot of sins. Maybe you don't. Maybe you don't have, maybe you're not, you know, addicted to drugs or you're not sleeping around or you haven't murdered somebody. Maybe you're not struggling with gluttony or whatever. I mean, whatever sin you want to choose. Maybe you're not a liar. But I think for most of us, 
myself especially, my sin today that I want God to cover, the sin that I want Him to forgive, the sin that I want Him to wash white as snow, is that sin of just not fearing Him. And you may say, yeah, but Gabriel, I didn't know that coming in. Yeah, but now we do know it. Now we recognize it. And what does David say that we say all the time here at our church? Search me, O God, and see if there's anything in me that I didn't know about, but that's offensive to you. And if you find it, take it out. Cleanse me. So, Lord Jesus, we just come to you today, and we thank you for your blood. We thank you that your blood covers all of our sins. But, God, we understand it covers it covers all the sins that the Bible talks about, but it also covers the sin of just not fearing you. And so, God, today our prayer, our final prayer, is that we would not only be forgiven of that sin, but that you would teach us how to fear you. Teach us how to walk in the fear of the Lord. Teach us how to love you and respect you. Teach us how to honor you with our worship, how to honor you with our lives, how to honor you with with the word. God, teach us today. Your word says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And God, we need wisdom today. I need wisdom on how to lead my family. I need wisdom on how to be a better husband. I need wisdom on how to raise my kids. God, I need wisdom in the business world of how to run this church. And and I need your wisdom, God, every day. And God, if I want the wisdom, I got to have the fear. So, God, today I just pray that you would help us to understand your power, help us to understand your anointing, help us to understand your love. And, God, I pray that that would lead us into a place of fear. In Jesus' name, amen. You can take the cup. Amen. Amen.